Good morning. Great to see everyone here this Christmas time, and, and great to see family members here as well, as we have an opportunity to connect uh, with our loved ones. And uh, I trust that you have an absolutely wonderful time this Christmas season. Have you ever paused to think about God in all of His greatness? Um, I think it can be absolutely overwhelming. Uh, Earlier uh, uh, this year, I think it was, we did a series on God and who God is. And there's something about the greatness of God that's hard to wrap our minds around. One of the ways, of course, that we know God is through creation. In fact, Romans 1 talks about that. Uh, We see that God is wise and that he has incredible power to create all that he has created. Uh, The beauty, the order, the vastness of it all. In fact, in Psalm 8, the psalmist says, when I consider the heavens and the works of your fingers, think about that. Billions, hundreds of billions of stars, millions of galaxies, and God created them. The work of his fingers, he says, and, and uh, so expansive. Like we know how much more than what the psalmist knew, who on a beautiful, crisp, dark night could see the beauty and the vastness of the heavens and, and how breathtaking that is. And he says, when I consider all of this, I pause with this question. What are people that you even think about them? What are, what are people that you even care about them. We're nothing, we're not even specks of cosmic dust in the universe. We're that infinitesimally small. What is humanity? What are people that you think about them or care about them? See, the greatness of God and trying to wrap our mind around the greatness of God can leave us feeling like, well, with the, uh, with, with the psalmist, well, how could you even care about us? with all of that power and the vastness of the expanse of the universe. And it's kind of hard sometimes to relate to a being as powerful and as vast and as out there somewhere as God is. Unreachable, unknowable, aside from creation, we get a chance to to know something about who he is from that. And I think that sometimes when we're going through some of our darkest, deepest experiences, we've got to wonder, where is God? Where is that God that, that I can't touch, I can't feel, I can't see, I can't smell? I, where is God? Does he know about me, this little speck in the universe? And does he even care about me? Well, I suppose if you've had thoughts like that, um, you might be Uh, forgiven for this because if you look at every different um, world religion, if you look at the conception of who God is, as you look at the diverse uh, uh, spectrum of religion, there is something that every religion uh, agrees with and has in common as a trait, and that is that God is distant, God is uncaring, God is aloof, God is unfeeling. He has an inability to feel. So if you're feeling alone in that, um, that's not you. 
only. Because all kinds of people in all kinds of religions think about God in that term, or their God. And I want to tell you this morning that that is a misconception. It's a misconception that Christmas corrects. We've been in a series of messages entitled Undercover Boss. Um, The Undercover Boss is a program that was on just a few years ago, a program in which uh, CEOs or owners of businesses uh, would uh, be invited to leave the boardroom, leave the executive office, and and, uh, disguise themselves and work in their own company um, as a, as an entry in an entry level position, and uh, it's interesting. Uh, they would disguise themselves and they'd drive a different car, and and they would get an opportunity to be an employee in their company to see what it's like from the bottom up, uh, to to see things through the eyes of their employees, and. Uh, they did this so they could understand how the company's running and evaluate it. They did this, though, also to understand what their, what their uh, employees, how they, how they felt about everything. You know, when I, when I saw some episodes of that show, I thought to myself, there's a lot of similarity between that show and Christmas. Uh, what happened at Christmas? Jesus... The Son of God, God the Son, listen, left heaven. He left his home. The ultimate boss, the one who created everything, the one who sustains and keeps everything running, the one who, uh, who is in charge of and rules the whole universe, left heaven, left the corporate headquarters, if you will, who came to earth and donned humanity. He left behind his heavenly home. He left behind the absolutely exquisite and glorious uh, uh, part of his being as as he was there in heaven with all of his glory, with the angels worshiping him. He left the freedom of his life as a spirit being, to, take, to come into time and space and to take upon himself a human body and to be born as a helpless baby in such a way that when you peered into that manger, you didn't recognize that that was God. You'd have no sense of knowing that that is, is uh, the creator of everything, being held and nurtured and cared for by a young woman. Uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't see as he was growing up in his town that you wouldn't say, well, there's God. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't point him out walking through the, the marketplace. You wouldn't exercise to see that that is, there's God. God just walked by. He dressed the way we dressed. He ate what we ate. He worked as we worked. He went to the synagogue as as people around him went to the synagogue and what they do. He was in every way like us. No one would have suspected that that was God. Who could guess that that was the creator in a manger, that that was the ruler of the universe? 
Well, that's where the journey began for him at Christmas. In Hebrews 2 and verse 14, it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity. He became flesh and blood. He became human just as we are human. There was a whole physical aspect of that. And we looked at that uh, a, a couple, uh, last week. This physical aspect that he born, he was born as we were born. He grew and developed and ate and drank and was tired and felt pain and he died. All the things that we experience in, in the physical realm, he experienced. And he took on a body so that he could sacrifice that body in our place, taking the punishment for our sins and offering forgiveness through that. But he wasn't just a person with a body. In Hebrews 2, verses 16 and 17, it says this, For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. He had to be made like us. Why? What was involved in that? Well, that not only includes Jesus having a body like we have a body, but it was for him to be able to feel and experience emotion even as we feel and experience emotion. That meant that at times Jesus marveled. He was amazed. He was sad. He was deeply troubled. He was moved. He was angry. All of the emotional experiences that we have and expressions we have, he had. In fact, the great reformer John Calvin would say, Jesus put on our emotions with his flesh. He added not just a physical body, but the whole emotional part of our being. God the Son showed us that he was not just a rational, mechanical being who was incapable of feeling and emotions, but that he was someone that felt deeply and experienced profound emotion in his life. And there's one aspect to Jesus' humanity, one way that we see this emotional expression. And that is through the tears of Jesus. I've entitled this message, uh, The God Who Cries. The God Who Cries. This is so foreign to any other kind of conception about any God, even about our God. And I know that the Christmas carol, uh, Away in a Manger, says, Oh, no crying he made, the little Lord Jesus asleep. Now, he cried. As a baby, he cried when he was hungry. It's like he didn't have dirty diapers, too. He experienced all of that. And I want to look at three episodes this morning in which we see Jesus, God the Son, pouring out his heart in tears. Uh, The first one, uh, Jesus had some close friends. Uh, They lived... Uh, just east of Jerusalem, just two miles from Jerusalem. And when Jesus would come to Jerusalem, he would stay with his friends. You probably know their names, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And uh, they were incredible hosts for Jesus and, and his gang. When they would come in, they would put the food on, they would stay there, they would care for them. And uh, they had this incredibly warm and loving relationship between them. And on one occasion, Jesus is down by the Jordan River. He's some distance away, and he's 
doing his thing there, preaching and teaching, and he's, he's instructing people, and he's healing and caring for people. And Lazarus gets sick. And Lazarus is, is really, they're such wonderful friends. And the two sisters think he's sick and he's getting worse and worse and we're afraid he's going to die. And so they send an SOS message all, all the way. They send somebody to find Jesus where he is, way down by the, the Jordan River. And, and they said this, the one you love, they didn't even have to say his name, the one you love is sick. In other words, Hurry and get here. This is critical. This is not a hangnail. This isn't, this isn't some uh, nothing thing. This is a critical, serious, medical, life-threatening illness. Please get here right away. Jesus receives that news, and uh, his response seemed to be quite indifferent to it. Uh, he just seemed to blow it off. Uh, he said, oh, you know, okay, uh, Lazarus, he tells his disciples, Lazarus is sick. Um, and he didn't hurry back. And he says, he says oh, he's not going to die. I'm not going to die. He said, this is for the glory of God. And then he waits two more days. Can you imagine the frustration of the sisters? Why is he not here? Where is he? What's happened to Jesus? He's got to get here. Lazarus is going downhill. He's, he's got that, that terrible breathing. And he's not going to be long for this life. In the meantime, Lazarus dies. And then Jesus saunters to Bethany. And as he gets to the outskirts of town, somebody says, you know, Jesus is here. And Jesus waits on the outskirts of town. And uh, uh, Martha, I love Martha. She was cooking, she was baking, she was cleaning. Well, her lazy lout of a sister, Mary, was just sitting at Jesus' feet listening to, oh, that galled her. And uh, Mary's that, like, boots it out there, heads, heads out to find Jesus. And she looks at Jesus with tears in her eyes. And she said, oh, Lord, if you'd only have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Oh, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. And Jesus said, uh, you know, it's all right. He'll, he'll live again. And she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know my theology. There's a resurrection. Sometime in the future, he'll live again. But this isn't really helping me now. I just lost my brother. Well, news is sent back to Mary, and Mary's at home, and, and, and Mary boots it out there. And when they saw, when her friends and, and, and relatives and family and people in the community saw her going quickly to the grave, it wasn't uncommon to, to go to the grave and weep. In Middle Eastern tradition, uh, they, you know, grieving is not something that is a quiet thing, not like we're told to sniffle and be quiet they they would wail and and uh, so when they saw her leave they figure she's going to the tomb to cry and they would be there and support her and cry with her and she gets to Jesus she sees Jesus she said if only you'd been here if only you'd been here our brother would still be alive Jesus said I, I told you he'll live again yeah the resurrection no I am the resurrection and the life and so here they are. They're, they're at the graveside. They're there with Jesus. And, and 
And here's what, uh, here's what it says in, in uh, John eleven thirty three. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with Mary also weeping, listen, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He had an emotional response, a visceral response. He didn't, oh, yeah, 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 okay, he's dead, yeah. You know, he, he, he is moved in spirit, and he's troubled. Where have they laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, we'll show you. Here, here's the place. He's, he's in this tomb. He's in this grave. He, he, the response, it's interesting. If you look at the words in the original language, the, 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 what, what we don't pick up in here so much is there was anger in Jesus. He said, well, angry? Was he not sad? Yeah, but he was, he was angry. Why was Jesus angry at this? In fact, the word that is used there is, is of, of a horse that snorts. You know, horse pawing the ground. You know, and that's kind of the noise that Jesus made in this anger that he had. And, and, and he was angry because he saw the toll that sin was taking. He looked at all these people brokenhearted, weeping, uh, undergoing a terrible, terrible uh, uh, time together as they, were, as they were just devastated by this loss. He saw the impact of sin, and it really got to him in a deep way. And we have the shortest verse in the Bible. So if you're a kid and you have to learn memory verses or something like that, Say, so I want to learn John eleven thirty five. Here it is. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Here is Jesus looking at this, seeing these brokenhearted people. And he begins to weep. Is that the picture of God that you have? A God who cries? A God who weeps? A God who is, who is at the grave of a friend? And listen to this. Jesus knew all along what he was going to do. He was going to raise him from the dead. Like, why, why does he have this feeling if he knows he's going to raise him from the dead? Because he has a heart of compassion. This is it. See, Jesus weeps over those who are brokenhearted. Do you know what the people said when they saw? The Jews said when they saw Jesus crying, they go, whoa, see how much he loved him? Jesus really loved this guy. And when you're in pain, and when you're in distress, and when your heart is breaking, and you don't think you'll make it, when you're standing at the grave of a loved one, when your child has gone astray, when, when your marriage has dissolved, when you've had a devastating diagnosis, and you feel so sad, and you begin to weep, and you think, what would God know? I want you to remember Jesus weeping at the grave of his friend. Jesus weeps over the brokenhearted and with the brokenhearted. Well, secondly, Jesus can seem very far from us when we deal with the press of temptation. It's a terrible thing, temptation, and succumbing to temptation. And not wanting to, to succumb to it, but succumbing to it just the same. The struggle we have, that tug of war inside us when we know what's right to do, and yet 
sometimes we do wrong and we fail. To do right can be costly. Sometimes to do right and to follow God will cost you a whole lot. And you may be thinking, well, how does God relate to me? How does God, who is so pure and holy and he can't sin and all the rest of that stuff, how can he relate to me when I feel this tug of temptation in me? And it's so powerful and we struggle against it and we hate it. And sometimes when we, to do the right thing is going to be extremely costly for us. What do you do then? Does God feel close to you in those moments? Can he understand that? Can he relate to you in your agony, all of those temptations? Can he get it? Does he understand that? And then we follow Jesus. He's just had a Passover meal with his disciples. There in the middle of the meal, Judas gets up and leaves. The betrayer goes to, to give Jesus away. And, uh, and there Jesus is troubled in spirit. There's something dark about Jesus at this moment. And he shares that precious moment of the, of the Passover meal. And, he, and he, he, uh, he begins the Lord's table, communion. He institutes that at that moment. And then they head out from there. And they go to that, that place, the Garden of Gethsemane, where they so often Jesus went into that garden. Just outside the city, just under this through this valley, and there on the side of the hill, there's a, a garden, olive trees. And in fact, we were there just this fall. And, and so those of you who are in Israel, just you can picture it all in your mind. And there's Jesus. And he says, you guys, stay here and pray. And he takes Peter and James and John and goes a little further. And, and, and you stay here and pray. And he goes further and he prays. And uh, we read in Mark 14 that they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, Jesus says. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it be possible, the hour might pass from him. Have a father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He is struggling. Can you imagine this? Here is Jesus struggling. He's praying to God. He understands that to follow God is, means he's going to, in just hours, be on a cross. It means just hours, just moments from then. Guards are going to come. They're going to arrest him. They're going to have a a false, illegal trial through the night. They're going to have him on a cross after mutilating his body and torturing him through the night. They'll have him on a cross by 9 a.m. in the morning. And by 3, he'll be dead. And he's weighing this all out and he's saying... If there's any way, Father, don't I, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to have to go through this. Yet he knows the will of God. And he's willing to stay with. You know, in Luke's gospel, it says, as he was praying, there were like great uh, drops of sweat, just like blood. You know, if you had a, a bad bleed, these big drops. Here he is agonizing. He's feeling 
He's experiencing the, the pain and the agony of knowing what's ahead. And in Hebrews, uh, here we find that Jesus cries over the agony of temptation. He cries over the agony of temptation. In Hebrews 5 and verse 7, it says this. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. This is referring to that event. Jesus in the garden praying. He wasn't just praying. He, was, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries. And we know from, from the original language, he kept praying it over and over again. Oh, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but you. Oh, Father, if it can pass from me. And loud cries and tears. I don't know about you, but sometimes the, the press of temptation is so tough. And we know that sometimes to follow God is going to cost us. To do the right thing may cost you your job. It may cost you friends. It may cost you a promotion. It may cost you getting into the university that you want to get into. It may mean deprivation. It may mean you'll be misunderstood or something like that. To, To do what's right in God's eyes is not always what people want. And if you don't do what they want, there may be a cost to you. And and, and you think, God can't appreciate this. God can't know what I'm going through. God can't understand the the pressure that I'm under. That if I follow God, it's going to cost me. And then I pause and I say, remember Gethsemane. Remember Jesus weeping as he felt that press. Get me out of this. And yet he chooses God's will. So when you're tempted, when you're tempted and, and, and you accuse God of not understanding what you go through and the things you have to deal with, remember what Jesus went through, the pressure, and yet he trusted God. One last picture of God crying. This is confusing because it comes at a really high moment in Jesus' life or presumably in Jesus' life. It's five days before Passover. It's five days and and pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims have come from all over the world to celebrate Passover. The, The population of Jerusalem swells by tens of thousands of people. And, uh, and here, uh, Jesus on Palm Sunday orchestrates presenting himself as the Messiah to his people. He gets, a, uh, he gets a, a donkey, and he takes that donkey, and people put their cloaks on it, and he sits on the donkey. And uh, they lead him. They've come from Bethany, where they stayed at Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha's house. And, uh, and there's a hill, there's a mountain called the Mount of Olives, and it sits about 300 feet above Jerusalem. So you get this beautiful panoramic view. And so here is Jesus on the donkey. Here he is traveling. And uh, they go over Mount of, the Mount of Olives and begin to descend there. And here's this beautiful view of the temple right before their eyes. People are caught up in this moment. 
people are coming along with them. Uh, they're, they're cutting down palm branches. They're waving them. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. This is the coming king. Little children are singing. People, the throngs, there are thousands upon thousands of people. And as they go, and as they travel there, the strangest, things hap- the strangest thing happens in the midst of this high moment, in the midst of this incredible celebration. In Matthew, uh, excuse me, in Luke chapter uh, uh, 19 and verse 41, it says this, as Jesus, as, he pro- as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept. I mean, this is the high moment. This is, you're our king. Hosanna to the highest. Praise be to God. He sent the Messiah. And, 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 and here it is in this happy time. And Jesus bursts out into tears. What's up with that? What's he doing? Uh, look at verse 42 to 44. He said, Oh, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will build up an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They'll dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They'll not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. See, he saw, the, he saw the situation. He knew that there was this mob mentality. He knew that they were caught up in the moment. And those hallelujahs, five days later, would become crucify him, crucify him. He saw the spiritual need. He saw the coming rejection. And here's where we see Jesus weeps over the plight of lost people. Jesus weeps over the plight of lost people. He has a deep, passionate love for lost people, for broken humanity. He's come to the earth to save people, to rescue them. Make no mistake that Jesus cares deeply about your eternal soul. He cares passionately for your well-being. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave Jesus that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. In Ezekiel 18, it says God, uh, that, that uh, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You think God gets kicks out of judging people, out of, out of con- condemning them and banishing them to a Christless eternity apart from God? No, he, he has no pleasure in that, he says. In uh, Matthew 9, we see a picture of the crowds and the throngs coming to Jesus. And Jesus looked at them, and we read this. He had compassion for them because they were like, Sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. He couldn't look dispassionately upon people without being moved. And Second Peter would tell us in chapter 3, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And when he looks at you, and when he looks at me, 
He weeps over lost people. He cares for lost people. That's why he left heaven. That's why he came to earth. That's why he took on humanity. That's why he allowed himself to be tortured and to be put to death. Because he loved us. He cared for us. Oh, if we only knew how much he loved us. If you only knew the cost that God paid to make a way for you to become his child, to be forgiven and accepted with him. How deeply invested he in. He has skin in this game. His whole purpose for coming was to rescue us from sin and death, from judgment and condemnation, to reconcile us to God, to give us eternal life so that we would be with him forever by his dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and his resurrection on the third day to to have victory over death and sin. He became one of us. He walked in our shoes. We got up close to him. He let us see him. Do you understand how deep and profound God's love is? That he died to take your place. He died to take my place Let me ask you, would you respond to that love? Would you open your heart to love like that when your creator went through all of that to make a way for you to become his child, to be forgiven? My prayer is that your heart would be open to that. I think one of the greatest tragedies is unrequited love. That's to say Jesus is born at Christmas What we celebrate is the coming of God the Son as a human being, as a baby, to grow up, to live a perfect life, and to give that life for us. And how deeply he cares for us is that he went through all of that, not just so that he could accomplish that, but he could do it in such a way that he could say, I really understand how you feel. I've walked in your shoes. I really, I really understand your heart. I really understand your burden. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus. Jesus, who went through the heavens. He did everything on earth, and he went up through the heavens, back to his heavenly home. We have a great high priest. You know what a high priest is? A priest is somebody who represents us to God and represents God to us. And we have this this high priest, this great high priest, Jesus, who's gone through the heavens, and he says, don't give up. Hold on to your faith. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I know my weaknesses. I know my frailty. He, he, he He has that compassion and that heart. That's sympathy. Do you know that word sympathy? One of the ways it was used? It was used for the love of a mother for her child. Those of you who are mothers and or fathers will understand something about this. You ever take your child and they have to have a procedure that's painful, even get a needle, and you have to hold that child while they do something? That the child is squealing and, and is in pain and agony and fear. Do you know how you feel? You sympathize. Oh, I wish I didn't have to do that. When you look at them, you have this deep, deep concern. We have a high priest who looks at us that way. He has a heart for us. 
He has a love and a care for us. And uh, we have this great high priest. He knows our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Everything, every temptation that we've had, he's had, and yet without sin. And he says, let us approach the throne of grace. His throne is the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, he's not just out there. He's not just dispassionate. He's not just that he doesn't care about us. He cares deeply. He's gone through what we've gone through, that he can be a merciful, gracious high priest, that he can help us in a time of trouble. And Christmas is the launch to that whole thing. To approach him, to find him as one who cares, one who loves, one who feels. And I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you're struggling with. But you need to know that whatever you're struggling with, God knows about it. And God cares about it. And God, through Jesus, has experienced your pain, your sorrow. And he helps in a time of trouble. Have you opened your heart to him? Have you received him? Have you bowed before him and said, I, don't, I can't understand why a God like you, as great as you are, would do what you've done for me? See, what he wants is he wants us to respond to his love. I said one of the worst things is unrequited love. When somebody does that much for you and you turn up your nose, and go, eh, I'm not interested. Thanks. Thanks just the same. I'm, I, I don't care. No. What a tragedy that God, by his grace, has made this way. And if you haven't yet opened your heart to Jesus Christ, my prayer is for you that you'll do that, that, that this Christmas will be the Christmas that you say, you know what, that makes so much sense. I am overwhelmed that God would care about me that much. And I open my heart to him. And I recognize that I'm a sinner and I've done all kinds of bad and wrong things. And that God loved me and God took the punishment for my sin. And I confess to him my sin. And I invite him to come into my life and to cleanse me. And I put my trust in what he did. That God will accept me on the basis of what Jesus did. And my prayer is for you that if you haven't done that, that you would, in your own heart, you would just pray something like that. Lord Jesus, I need you. I've sinned against you. I believe what you did, you did for me. I open my heart to you. I receive this gift by grace, by nothing that I've done, only by what you have done. I accept your forgiveness and I thank you for what you've done for me. And If you express something like that from the bottom of your heart to God, I want you to know that that very moment he comes into your life and you begin a new journey with him. What a great thing that Christmas 2017 would be that time for you. Let's pray. Our Father, your love overwhelms us. Lord Jesus, that you would come at Christmas like a 
as a baby, you would grow up and give your life for us, causes us to wonder with amazement. Thank you for what you have done for us. And all we can do in return is thank you and to open our hearts and receive what you've provided through that death and to live our lives for you. And so I pray, Father, that you'd help us in response to your grace and kindness, that we would respond with gratitude, with worship, and with living life the way you want us to. Thank you that you know and understand. We take great solace in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Emmanuel, God with us.